Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au forward slash media. Praise God. You know, there are scriptures that we know and we're a Bible church, so we love the word. We get into the word. But then there are scriptures that ignite in your spirit and come alive, isn't there? We call them rhema words. And one of those ones, and I'm sure everyone here has words like that that are really significant to you, that when it ignited in your spirit as like real truth, the spark happened and it just changed a lot about how you think and how you live. One of those for me is a very familiar one in this house and it's John 10.10. The thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. But I came that you'd have life and life abundantly. That's Jesus. His intention and desire for us was always to give us an abundance of life in every part of our lives. And that means more and more and more of him. The more we know him, the more we experience him, the more we yield to him, the more we cooperate with him, the greater the measure of that abundant life flowing in our lives. Amen. Does anyone here agree with me? I can honestly say that I have never been happier. I've never been more at peace. I have never... um, I I almost don't know how to articulate it because he is just so good. He takes us from glory to glory and strength to strength. You know, my background is that as a little girl, my family immigrated here to Australia. I was just two years of age at the time and it was the late 1960s. And, um, you know, we lived in a little uh, government-sponsored hostel. So all the immigrants go to these hostels and, you know, they're looked after by the government as they get integrated into the life and the culture of the country. And, uh, you know, my mum and my dad couldn't speak any English and my mum came to know the Lord. My dad didn't until he was on his deathbed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) he finally gave his life to Jesus as he was about to slip into eternity. However, my mum um, was really blessed that there was someone in that hostel that came to give her Finnish Christian publications, a Christian newsletter, monthly newsletter, and it meant the world to her that she could interact and connect with her own culture and language. And so she started reading these. And then as a result of that, she got invited to church and a result of going to church a few years later... She was born again and gave a heart to Jesus. Now, she took me along. Uh, At that time, there was four kids in the family, but she took me along, and I was just a little four-year-old girl, and I remember sitting with mum in the front row. Now, who knows, when you first get saved, you don't want to miss a thing, right? You don't want to miss a thing. You want to be at every service. You've got the fear of missing out. What if something happens in a meeting I didn't go to? (laughs) You don't want that to happen. So here we were Sunday after Sunday in the front row and I just remember as a little girl, you know, I'm just a child and I remember the guy up the front talking and sharing. It wasn't a children's message. It was a gospel message. He was just talking about Jesus. But when he asked, who wants to know Jesus? I remember putting my hand up as a little four-year-old girl because there was something about that message. There was something about that truth that I wanted to know Jesus. I wanted to follow Jesus. And so what I'm saying is let's bring children into the house of God. You know, Jesus welcomed children. 
They mattered to him. They were important to him. He's told the, he told the disciples, don't stop them from coming to me. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So children need to be in the house of God and, and seeing and encountering and hearing the reality of God. So they're not just, it's not just something that happens at home, but it's also here at church. And it's not separate, it's just at church, but there's an overflow of a life lived um, for him, even in the home. I heard this wonderful saying that really resonated and echoed with me and it said, children are not a distraction from important work. They are the most important work. Now, I just want to point out that, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about misplaced value. Last week, Benny brought an incredible word about honouring God and he talked about how we can idolise relationships and we can idolise our children, for example. I'm not talking about that but I am talking about honour and stewardship because a life of honour before the Lord positions everything in our lives in its proper place. Everything in our lives falls into its proper place. And God has given us this incredible privilege to not only create, but to steward physical and eternal spiritual life. What a gift. Thank you, Father. You know, Hitler was known to have said these words, but they didn't originate with him. There was a Greek philosopher that originally articulated these words, and he said, give me the boy and I'll show you the man. Give me the boy and I'll show you the man. And Hitler did this in a time in history where he was seeking to indoctrinate an entire generation for his plans and purposes. And we know what that was. And at that time, Germany was offering 24-7 government-funded childcare to support that mentality. Give me the boy and I'll show you the man. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these little children, because their hearts and their minds are fertile soil. So let's be mindful of how we steward little children in our midst, even as a church family, that we place honour on them and on their lives and the significance of the privilege to steward them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're really blessed with a phenomenal kids um, church and kids program here at Rayma Family Church. We've got such dedicated leaders and um, your, your children are safe at Rayma Family Church. I've recently just got in involved with the kids program and it's incredible. So a couple of weeks ago, our beautiful Pastor Patsy, before she headed off to the States, brought a word called the Church on Fire. Magnificent, powerful word. Last week, Benny shared on honouring God more. Today, I'm going to look at what is life. And I actually didn't intentionally connect that to the, the fact that we're looking at Mother's Day or anything like that. It just happened. But I thought, isn't that just like the Holy Spirit to put things together like that? So from the very outset, I'm going to point out as a qualifier that we, as the church, his beloved bride, we are people of his word, the Bible. We make no apology for that. And that means that we look into his word on any and every matter. Amen? Any and every matter. We don't look to the news. We don't look to politicians. We don't look to great intellectuals. We look to his holy word. 2 Peter 1.3 says, For his divine power has bestowed on us absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness through true and personal knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. 
So did he leave anything out? With all the stuff that happens in life and in the world, did he leave anything out? No. When he says everything, he means everything. And any challenge or any situation, no matter what it is, we can find what we need in his word. We can find what we need in his word. So coming back to this question, what is life? See, we live in times that seem to be confused about this question, and that's not entirely new. And in fact, the world is in armoured with death. It's in armoured with death. Last year alone, according to a website called worldometers.com that you can look up, and I believe that their statistics come out of the World Health Organisation, it tells us that over 50 million abortions were performed. Now, they're the ones that are recorded and documented. Mother Teresa, the famous Catholic nun who worked with the poorest of the poor in the slums of India, said these words, a society that kills its children has lost its soul. What's a soul? It's mind and it's heart. Now, I just want to say, if anybody's had any experience with this area, there is healing and wholeness and hope and restoration in Christ Jesus. The annual festival of Halloween, which is a celebration of death, and okay, I might be stepping on some toes here, because look, the devil is an angel of light and he's a liar, and you can dress it up and you can make it dance and you can make it whatever you want to make it, but ultimately it is a celebration of death. And it is gaining ever-increasing commercialised momentum in our society, but it's a celebration of death. And I'm not even going to start on talking about videos and computer games and movies where we can either watch or enact, in the case of computer games, brutal acts of violence and death in the name of entertainment. In the name of entertainment. You know, I used to be horrified. Jeff and I, we've been to Rome, we've been to the Colosseum and we heard all the stories and, you know, they throw Christians in the middle and lions eat them alive. And I remember saying to Jeff, what kind of a society does that? What kind of people? How could they? And yet we're doing it in our lounge rooms and at our computer screens. So let's have a look at what the dictionary says that life is. And this is going to be interesting The definition is the condition that distinguishes organisms from inorganic objects and dead organisms being manifested by growth through metabolism, reproduction and the power of adaptation to an environment through changes originating internally. So I'm thinking to myself, if we could trust the science that we've been hearing so much about, surely that this statistic that I quoted just a moment ago, the 50 million, would be absolutely incomprehensible regarding the termination of the most vulnerable of lives. So as believers, we need to know what life is according to God's standard. Not medical standard, not science's standard, not someone else's standard. We need to know what life is according to God's standard. If we want to live intentionally and purposefully for his glory. So many things have been said about life and there's a lot of perspectives and belief systems from philosophers and artists and all sorts of things. 
But what we know and what we believe about this one area, it impacts the entire trajectory of our existence in every single sphere. What we believe about life and its significance is going to impact our relationships, our finances, our, our past, our present, our future. So we've already established that we as the church have a biblically based worldview when it comes to creation. So we're not going to be looking through the lens of science or intellectual evidence, which can only ever quantify the physical or the natural realm. You see, we're going to jump into a whole lot of scripture, a lot because the Lord said to feed you meat. So you're getting meat today. I was like, how about some dessert? Nope, we're getting meat. So we're going to plow through some heavy scripture right now, one after the other after the other. But the word is going to do the work. That's what the Lord said. He said the word is going to do this, the work. So let's open ourselves up to hear from the word afresh and get broader, greater revelation of what he means. John 14, 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive and take to its heart because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he, the Holy Spirit, remains with you continually and will be in you. You see, the world can't receive him. They can't see him. They can't know him. They don't see things the way that we see them because we've got the spirit of truth. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned, 1 Corinthians 2, 14, 15. But the natural unbelieving man does not accept the things, the teachings and revelations of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness. They're absurd and illogical to him, and he's incapable of understanding them because they are spiritually discerned and appreciated, and he's unqualified to judge spiritual matters. He's unqualified. He can't do it. We also know that without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews 11.6. But without faith, it is impossible to walk with God and please him. For whoever comes near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. So we understand and we accept creation as stated in the Bible by faith, Hebrews 11.3, by faith. That is with an inherent trust and enduring confidence in the power, wisdom and goodness of God, we understand that the worlds, the universe, the ages were framed and created, formed, put in order and equipped for their intended purpose by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. We can't try and grasp this and understand this with our natural minds. So the origin of all life is God, both physical and spiritual. Can we say yes, amen? All life. No God, no life. No God, no life. Doesn't matter what you believe, just because you don't believe that there is no God, that's not the truth. You're believing a lie. No God, no life. John 5, 26, for just as the Father has life in himself and is self-existent, even so he has given to the Son to have life in himself and be self-existent. We don't need to try and figure out where God came from. That's us just trying to be smart. We don't need, you know, people, oh, so where did God come from? We know by faith he always was. He was and he is and he is to come. 
Colossians 1, 15 to 18, he, speaking of Jesus, is the exact living image, the essential manifestation of the unseen God, the visible representation of the invisible, the firstborn, the preeminent one, the sovereign and the originator of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created and exist through him, that is by his activity and for him. And he himself existed and is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He's the controlling, cohesive force of the universe. He's also the head, the life source and leader of the body, the church. That's us. (laughs) And he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will occupy the first place. He will stand supreme and be preeminent in everything. We don't need to get scared. Ooh, there's a virus. It's a global virus. Ooh. Ooh. Shaking in our boots. No, we don't do that. John 1, 1 to 5. In the beginning, before all time, was the word Christ. And the word was with God and the word was God himself. He was continually existing in the beginning, co-eternally with God. All things were made and came into existence through him and without him, not even one thing was made that has come into being. In him was life and the power to bestow life. And the life was the light of men and the light shines on in the darkness and the darkness did not understand it or overpower it or appropriate it or absorb it and is unreceptive to it. So it doesn't matter how dark this world is going to get and I've got news for you, it's going to get darker. It's going to get darker. But the darkness cannot overpower the light, hallelujah. Glory to God and we're children of the light. So let's look at this, the origins of light, uh, light, life. Genesis 1 One, did I just say that right? In the beginning, God created by forming from nothing the heavens and the earth. Everything we know in and of our world has a source and that source is God. Now, I really want to point out here that Satan is not able to create. He is not creating metaverses. He might be behind some of that stuff. (laughs) He is not creating parallel universes with alien beings and Star Wars and all this kind of stuff. He's, he's, he's incapable of doing that. He does not have the power to create. He has the power to counterfeit, only to counterfeit. And we know that God's masterpiece in creation was man. Genesis 1, 26 to 27. Then God said, let us, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, make man in our image, according to our likeness, not physical, so not just physical, but a spiritual personality and moral likeness and let them have complete authority, blah, blah, blah. So God created man in his own image, in the image and likeness of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. God created man from the dust of the earth. And we see this in Genesis 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed, that is, created the body of man from the dust of the ground. Isn't it interesting when we die or forget cremated or buried, we return to dust. And he breathed life into his nostrils, or he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. 
an individual complete in body and spirit. Only God, only God alone was able to do that. What a holy moment. He sets his masterpiece as the pinnacle of his creation. It's beautiful. Then we know that he created woman from the man. You see, he could have created another being from the dust. Again, he could have, but he didn't. Look in Genesis 2, 21 and 22. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made, he fashioned, he formed into a woman and he brought her and presented her to the man. And in 20, verse 23, Adam says, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, and some say, Whoa, man. <laughs> because she was taken out of the man. You see, it's the two together. It's the male and the female that are the full representation of the nature, the character, the likeness, the glory, the beauty, the majesty of God. Why do we think in the times that we're living in that this is completely under fire where people don't know, are they animal, mineral, mineral or vegetable? Because the further that we careen away and drift away from his standard and his word and his way, the greater the chaos the greater the confusion, the greater the turmoil, the ever-increasing darkness. So he created us in and for perfect relationship with God and with one another. And I know as a kid, you know, when I thought about creation, I tended to think of it just in that physical realm. And I think even when we teach kids about it, generally we, we look at that physical realm. But John 4.24 tells us God is spirit, the source of light, Life, sorry, the source of life. I'm getting my life and lights mixed up. God is spirit, the source of life, yet invisible to mankind. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so in his representation, in his image, we were created. Humankind was created. The physical body for the physical dimension and the eternal spirit for the eternal realm. See, in Jeremiah 1, Verse 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Every single one of us. Before he formed us in our mother's womb, he knew us. How is this even possible? Because the source of all life, God, created not only the physical body for the life in this physical natural realm, but also the spirit, which belongs to that eternal realm. He knit us together in our mother's womb, Psalm 139, 13. For you formed my innermost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb, verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being formed in secret and intricately and skillfully formed as if embroidered with many colours in the depths of the earth. Have you seen those beautiful images now? We've got such incredible technology. We can see from the moment of con conception, we're able to see magnificent images of that process, of that embroidery with many colours by the very hand of God. And this is why life is sacred. Life is holy. 
Life is precious. And life is to be valued. It's to be nurtured. It's to be protected, developed, and it's designed to flourish and to demonstrate his glory. And this is why the enemy hates us so much. He can barely tolerate the fact that we are created in his image. He can barely tolerate it. And he has one assignment, one agenda, one purpose, to steal, to kill, and to destroy life. And so, of course, when sin entered through Adam and Eve as a result of their doubt and disobedience, everything changed. Everything changed. What happens when things are cut off from their life source? What happens? They die. You know, we know we take a fish out of water. It dies. We cut a beautiful flower off its, off its branch. It dies. Take a human being out of the earth's atmosphere. Send them off into space. Without oxygen, we'll die. When we cut off from our life source, we die. And these are just purely physical um, examples. But we know that Adam and Eve experienced a spiritual death a spiritual death when they sinned against God. And their immediate um, death resulted in this alienation from their intimacy with God. And it did eventually end up in physical death as, as well. But you see, death was never, ever part of God's plan. Was never part of God's plan. But that death extended to all humanity through Adam until it was redeemed through Jesus Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection hallelujah hallelujah through him and only him eternal life was restored to us and that's why we can read in acts 17 28 for in him we live and move and exist that is in him we actually have our being we actually have our being how good is that so what about this abundant life how does that even apply to us do we even know, like do we sometimes get these Christianese terms and we think, yes, 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 I know what that means. But do we really know what it means? And are we living in the fullness of that truth or do we have room to grow? You see, the definition of abundant is richly supplied, over-sufficient, over-sufficient. He wants us living lives where we have an over-sufficiency, ample, rich, plenteous are synonyms. So if this is true, why do we know so many believers that aren't living it? And perhaps even ourselves, perhaps there's areas of our lives where we want to see more of his abundant life. I sure do. I sure do. He has told me I can go from glory to glory and strength to strength. So I'm not settling for anything less. Hallelujah. If he said it, I want it. He says in Hosea 4, 6a, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge of my law, his word, where I reveal my will. You know, there are things I know now I wish I'd known 30 years ago because there are parts of my life that were destroyed for lack of knowledge. Wouldn't you agree, Jeff? We went, we went around some twists and turns, even in our marriage, that could have been spared if we knew what we knew now. But God is so gracious and so good. So let's have a look at how we can cooperate with abundant life, both physically and spiritually. 
We're going to keep hoeing through these scriptures, guys. <laughs> so Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. That is, in him I have shared in his crucifixion. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, in this body, I live by faith, by adhering to, relying on, and completely trusting in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself up for me. Romans 12, 1 and 2, very familiar portion again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves, set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical and intelligent act of worship. When we present our bodies, it's an act of worship. Don't be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs. How much of that do we see? But be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. We're going to continue. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have received as a gift from God, and that you are not your own property? You were bought with a price. You were actually purchased with the precious blood of Jesus and made his own. So then honour and glorify God with your body. Our bodies are not our amusement parks. They're not for our own entertainment and gratification. They are to honour the one who gave his body for ours. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17. Do you not know and understand that you, the church, are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells permanently in you? He doesn't come and go. He doesn't come and go permanently. Collectively and individually, we are the temple of God and it's holy, it's sacred, and that is what we are. 1 Corinthians 9, 25 to 27 says, Now every athlete who goes into training and competes in the games is disciplined and exercises self-control in all things. So we're talking about just the natural realm. Think Olympics. Very disciplined people. They do it to win a crown that withers. It doesn't last. But we do it to receive an imperishable crown that cannot wither. Therefore, we do not run without a definite goal. We don't flail around like, like one beating the air or shadow boxing. We strictly discipline our bodies and make it our slave so that after we've preached, after we've shared and told people about how good God is, we will not somehow be disqualified as unfit for service. So what does that mean? It means that we are doers of the word. We live governed and led by the Holy Spirit, not the flesh. And it does take discipline and self-control. It does. But we have the fruit of the Spirit. I can't tell you how many times God's asked me to do things where I know I don't have the capacity in myself, in my natural self, to do what he's asking me to do. 
and I have to draw from the well of his provision and his Holy Spirit. You know, you've heard probably people say, maybe, maybe not, um, but I've heard this saying where people go, oh, this life is just a dress rehearsal for the next one. Has anyone heard that saying? Yeah? No? It's not even close. It's not even close. Because this physical life that we're living in right now is directly connected to the eternal one. Every single human being is living in both the physical temporary realm as well as the eternal spiritual one. There's just the two kingdoms. We've had some brilliant messages on those, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. So as the believers, we know that we are in the eternal kingdom of light. In Luke 17, 21, Jesus said, For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. We're in the world, but we're not of it. John 17, 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So when there's tension and friction... You know, when we just can't get our point across with someone, don't stress. Don't stress. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. Live out like Jesus did, full of grace and truth. In Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8, we're told, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Now, I just want to point out here too, we often hear this around giving, but it is not limited to the area of giving. Think about it in the context of how we live our lives in every area. God is not mocked. He will not allow himself to be ridiculed, nor treated with contempt, nor allow his precepts to be scornfully set aside. For whatever a man sows, this and, and this only is what he will reap. For the one who sows to his flesh, his sinful capacity, his worldliness, his disgraceful impulses, no mincing words there, will reap from the flesh ruin and destruction, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Who wants to be sowing into the eternal kingdom the things of the Spirit, the things that will endure? Hallelujah. I like how Paul put it in Philippians 1.21. He said, for me to, li to live is Christ. He is my source of joy. He's my reason to live. And to die is just gain. For I'll be with him in eternity. This is why death has lost its sting. We never lose. We never lose. To live is Christ and to die is to be with him. Hallelujah. So Hebrews 9, 27 says, And just as it is appointed and destined for all men to die once, and after this comes certain judgment. Romans 14, 12. So then each of us will give an account of God, himself to God. Every human being, there's no exemptions. You can't go and get an exemption for this one. There isn't any. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we believers will be called to account and must all be appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to qualify. We can get hung up on that word judgment. In the Greek, it is a word beamer, B-E-M-A, not a BMW people, not a BMW. And it means the reward seat of Christ. So we have a different anticipation about this time than those that are outside of Christ. But we'll all appear 
before the seat of Christ so that each one may be repaid for what has been done in the body, whether good or bad. That is, each will be held responsible for his actions, sowing and reaping, purposes, goals, motives, the use or misuse of our time our opportunities and abilities. You see, I've talked to a lot of people and I get all kinds of stories like, you know, we're coming back as birds, as bees, as ants, as some maybe if we're, you know, done the right thing, higher life form. No, not graduating to any higher life form. That's not what the source of all life, the creator of all life says. He's qualified to say what the deal is because he created everything. This is my all-time favourite going to be twinkling in the sky in the sky like a star hello auntie Jemima hey pops hey look up at the stars and think that they're smiling down on you every single one of these is a demonic deception created to be counterfeit comforters counterfeit comforters to stop people from knowing the truth You see, our mind is the rudder of our life. Where our mind goes, we're going to follow. As a man thinks, so he is. When we change our mind, we change our life. I've found that often we wait for God to fix things in our lives. You know, over the years I've shared and ministered with people, you know, in our youth days, Jeff, where young people would come to the altar week after week after week asking God to just fix them, fix this problem. Like we want him to get out some kind of celestial magic wand and go, boop, there you are. Boop, you're delivered from that thing. You're delivered from your bad temper. But he's waiting for us to act on his word and to yield to his word. Romans 12, 2, again, we we touched on it before, we're not conformed to this world, but we're transformed and progressively changed as we mature spiritually by the renewing of our minds, by focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes. In Ephesians 5, 26 and 27, Paul said, so that he might sanctify the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word of God, so that in turn he might present the church to himself in glorious splendour, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she would be wholly set apart for God and blameless. Think about a wedding day. Whoever arrived to a bride that looks dishevelled like she's just been through 20 rounds in the boxing ring with the world champion. Or she's just come out of a war zone and she's just crawled to get there. Oh, Jesus, I'm just, I'm just going to get there. Jesus isn't coming for a bride like that, battered and bruised and just dragging herself to the altar. What did it just say? Glorious. Glorious splendour. See, I like how James 4.14 says these words. Yet you do not know the least thing about what may happen in your life tomorrow. Anyone ever had a day like that? Something comes and you certainly weren't expecting it. What is secure in your life? 
You're merely a vapour, like a puff of smoke or a wisp of steam from a cooking pot that is visible for a little while and then vanishes into thin air. So this is referring to this life here on this side. And let's talk about all, you know, we make such a big deal about life on this side. Politicians. (laughs) Ogliarchs. Billionaires. Celebrities. Influences, academics. In the context of all eternity, that was it just there. Was it significant? Absolutely, yes, it was. That little was significant. Because there is not one life, one human being that is more significant to God than the next one. He's the source of all life. He tells us that to whom much is given, much is required. Mark 8.36, for what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world with all its pleasures and forfeit his soul? So to have it all in this life is irrelevant to the next one. What matters is how we steward what we have. That's what matters, how we steward what we have. Anyone ever heard the saying, time is money? Popular one, again, nope. Time is life. Time is life. I like how Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you even to the end of the age because he values and he honours us so much that once we're born again in him, he does not leave us for one moment. He's invested his whole life into us, not only on this side, but on the in, right into the next one. So what we spend our time on is what we're spending our life on. And we're created and called to live intentionally and purposefully. You know, our, our carnal mind says, yes, 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 I know that. I even agree with that. That's really good. But it doesn't necessarily make changes. See, it's spirit revelation It's when something ignites in your spirit and comes alive in your spirit. It's the spirit that will always adjust attitudes and actions. It will always respond. It'll say, yes, Lord, I'll do what you're asking me to do. I'll respond to what you're saying. And the Holy Spirit will always call us to go further than we want to. Have you noticed that? One particular assignment I'll give you as an example God asked me over and over and over again, so he's clearly not done with me yet, but he asked me to love people I do not even like. He puts people into my life and my world that push all my buttons. I worked with one guy that was sexually harassing me. And what did the Lord say when I went to him about, oh, he's so horrible, Lord, and he does this and he says that, can Jeff just come and punch his lights out? And the Lord says, I want you to love him. And I'm like, wait, what? Wait, what? Could not have heard that right. And the thing is, When he asks us to do something, he gives us the grace and the ability and the enablement to do it. Because remember, it's all about him. It's never about us. And he wanted me to show the love of God to this man, an unconditional love. 
So not repaying evil for evil, but overcoming evil with good. So let's beware of the trap of self-deception and disqualify ourselves, as Paul had said. David said these words in Psalm 139, verse 2 and 3. Search me thoroughly, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked or hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Now, the man who wrote these words had very first-hand experience at living, being governed by the flesh. He lusted, he deceived, he murdered, and yet later he was called by God a man after his own heart, and that was King David. He's a poignant example of the wages of sin is death. You see, the consequences of sin in our lives will result in death. It will. Sin in marriages will lead to death of the marriage. If there's unforgiveness, if there's offence, if there's bitterness, if there's betrayal, it will lead to death unless there's healing and restoration through Jesus Christ. Sin in finances. I'm going to do it my way, God. I know what your word says. Nah, that's for someone else. I'm going to do it my way. It leads to lack. Sin will always result in death. You see, God's way works. His way works. 1 Corinthians 2, 11 to 12. For what person knows the thoughts and motives of a man except the man's spirit within him? And we've received not the spirit of the world, but the Holy Spirit who is from God, so that we may know and understand the wonderful things freely given to us by God. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, We have the mind of Christ to be guided by his thoughts and purposes, but we get to choose to yield. That's the crux of it. We get to choose to yield. And how do we know that we're yielding? Our lives do not contradict the word of God. We don't say one thing and have a public persona and then do something else. We're consistent and we're transparent. You know, when we tell ourselves, oh, I've tried so many times to conquer this particular area and the enemy's really quick to get on board and get involved in all of that and he'll, he'll help you right along. He'll say, you can't, that's just part of you. You know, that's your family, how you were brought up. You're in an abusive family, so you're always going to lash out. You're, you know, who give you a thousand, million reasons to justify not cooperating with the Holy Spirit? But the important thing to know is that he's lying. He's lying. He's a liar. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We've got to learn how to talk back to that stinking enemy. So do we really want victory? Because if we do, here's the key. Colossians 3.2, set your mind and keep focused habitually on the things above, the heavenly things, not on things that are on the earth, which only have temporary value. Temporary value. How much of our life in any given day is spent on the things here? If we're honest, a lot of it. A lot of it. You know, we used to have this little joke uh, many, many years ago, that if we go to McDonald's and we buy a Big Mac meal, but we drink a Diet Coke, it's going to neutralise all the calories. <laughs> no, does not work about like that. I got to a point I felt guilty asking God to bless McDonald's. <laughs> like, how could he even ask you to bless this garbage? But I like it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Have you noticed how little kids love their growth to be measured? Anyone ever have those little growth charts? You know, it's got all the, the numbers on there and you go once a month or every few months and you stand against the growth chart and then you look at it and you go, oh, look. See, the person growing can't see that they're growing. But spiritual growth can also be measured and we can't see our spiritual growth. It's usually the other people that can. You know, you heard, all heard about the guy that used to say, I'm so proud of how humble I am. doesn't work like that. We need accountability. Jesus spoke to a rich young ruler when this guy asked him how he could inherit eternal life. And you can see that in Mark 10, 21 to 22. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But essentially, Jesus looked at him, he loved him, and he said to him. And when he said, when he said what he said to him, he challenged the very core of what mattered to that young man. And the man had to walk away because he loved and treasured his stuff more than his relationship with God. So we're not to be islands. And this is why community and church family and relation, relationship with one another and collective assembly is so critically important to our spiritual growth and development. I mean, it's wonderful that we can have online church and all that kind of stuff, but we need to be in relationship with one another we're to build Christ-centred relationships with people that we can trust and people that we love. So I want to encourage every single one of us within our church family to get around people of like spirit, people that inspire you and encourage you in God. Because God designed life, our lives, to flourish in an atmosphere of love. That's why he created families. He wants families to flourish in an atmosphere of love. And yet it's a place where many people are broken. They're broken. So we want to have a safe place where we can grow into maturity in Christ. It's safe to make mistakes in an atmosphere of love. It's safe to ask questions. It's safe to admit that we're wrong. And we know that God is love. You see, there's a, a huge counterfeit out there. We've recently heard a catch cry, love is love. Oh no, oh no. See, that kind of love turns into hate, it turns into betrayal, it turns into abuse, it can even culminate in murder. It's heinous. Love is not love, God is love. The God kind of love will never do any of those things. So how can we steward his love and his gift of life intentionally? I'm just going to race through these quickly. By living with a sense of eternity in every aspect of our lives. Live with a sense of eternity towards every relationship, towards our work, how we steward our time and our workplace and our colleagues, towards ministry to our commitments. When we tell people we're going to be there, we turn up, we show up, we do what we say we're going to do. Secondly, knowing that he's the source of all life, both physical and temp physical temporal life and spiritual eternal life. Because as we honour him in this, we grow into ever-increasing maturity in Christ for the glory of God. He's able to dispense his goodness through us to the world around us. Thirdly, his gift of life to us was intended to magnify and glorify the one who gave it. We always remember who we represent. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. So very quickly, young girls, when you put, get dressed, representing Christ, 
Because we live in a time where it says it's all about you, it's all about your body. No, no, it's not. We present our bodies as living sacrifices to the King of Kings. And we don't want to offend anybody. We do not want to cause our brothers to stumble. So there are places in our lives, even collectively as the church, that we need to lift our game and honour him and honour his truth. Because we were meant to shine like stars in the universe in the midst of a dark and crooked generation. And lastly, abundant life is available to all who choose to accept and receive it. Every single one of us, every single one of us, anyone here in this room, if you're watching online, abundant life is available to each and every one of us. So let's choose to yield more and more of our lives to his desire, to his word and to his will. Amen? Amen. We're just going to close in prayer and Andy's going to bless us with a beautiful song. We're just going to pray and if you do not know Jesus and haven't asked Jesus into your heart and life, this is your moment. Because the best life is the life that is lived in him. I promise you that. He promises you that. And his promises are better than mine. So we're going to pray. We're going to ask him to come into our heart and our life. And then also as um, Andy sings this morning, I just feel that the Lord wants to take us to places that we're not really ready for because we haven't yielded. We haven't consecrated. He wants so much for us. He never wants to withhold anything from us, but he can't always give us what he wants to give us because we are not working with him. We are not cooperating. We're being willful. We're being stubborn. Sometimes we're being downright disobedient. So let's choose today to consecrate our lives afresh for his kingdom and his glory. Amen. We're going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for me. I ask you now, Jesus, to come into my heart, to come into my life. I ask you to be my Lord. I present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. I thank you, Jesus, that you died for me, that you rose again and that you live in my heart from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.